Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. In a tsunami of psychiatric illness, you'd think things would be better at work, right? Because a lot of us, for a long time, didn't go to the office. We stayed at home. Not all of us, but a lot of us did. So you'd think we'd be more relaxed about work. That's not the case at all. Just released data shows that employers are reporting a six-fold increase in work-related stress and burnout. We are in a sweeping age of mental challenge. And here we are, believers in Christ. And we're in the middle of that. And so what do we do? How do we respond? I'll invite my panel to come, our panel. Um, we're challenged in our Bibles to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Hundreds of times, hundreds of times we're told not to be afraid. There's that famous text in 2 Timothy which says God uh, doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but in the King James, love, power, and a sound mind. So phrenomos is the Greek, a sound mind. What does that mean in this age of rampant mental unwellness? And that's what we're here to talk about this morning. We're taking a break from our series on the wanderers to pay special attention to this area of our minds and our mental well-being. And so I'm glad you're here, glad you're online. I'm going to have our panel introduce themselves. You, you can see them. Here they are. Uh, so what I'd like you to do, panel, welcome. Thank you for doing this. I'd like you to name family background and something about your experience and expertise with mental health, mental wellness to explain while they're there. Most of you know Pastor Margaret, some of you know Ashley Link, a few of you know Mark Sensabaugh, who's famous, um, so you have to know him. Um, but I'm gonna ask them to introduce themselves and then we'll start with uh, discussion questions. So Margaret, would you start? Name, background, family, and a little bit about what brings you here this morning. Sure, so Margaret, um, most of you here know me and online. Um, grew up in this community, grew up um, very conservative, and like many other folks, some brokenness in my life, and came to this church really broken, and uh, God has renewed my mind, uh, enough so that I wanted to help other people, and he's still working on me. We're all a work in progress until we get to glory. However, in that journey, I was married to Steve, will be 32 years this year, and wow. have a daughter, Sydney, and her husband, Adam, and they have one child and one a little bit overdue, um, which is really exciting. And then Olivia, Pastor Olivia, who is here on this staff, um, is our second daughter. So that's a little bit about me. Thanks. Mark. Mark Sensible. I've been married for 42 years almost to Beverly and have two adult daughters, 
36-year-old Amanda, who has Down syndrome, lives with us, and a 34-year-old daughter on the West Coast, Seattle. She's the mom with her husband of three sons. Uh, so I have three grandsons. Uh, parents actually live in our home. Father, almost 92, passed away about 30 days ago now. Mom just turned 89. Uh, I'm pretty much a valley boy, came to Christ uh, when I was 17. Uh, went to grad school at Regent University to get a master's in counseling and got licensed as a professional counselor and a marriage and family therapist. Uh, was on staff at a local church, Grace Covenant, for about 11 years as a ministry pastor. Was a pastor in Virginia Beach about three years as an associate pastor. And then we have worked with two Christian counseling practices in the area. Uh, Family Life Resource Center for about nine years was a clinical director of five of those nine, and then with Journey Counseling Ministries presently, and have been there about six, almost seven years. And depression, anxiety would be the common cold of uh, mental health, so deal with that a lot in the context of counseling. And uh, if you have your version app open, uh, Mark's contact information is there if you need that. Ashley. Good morning, Ashley Link. Um, I'm coming to you from the Elkton campus, so it's good to be back in Harrisonburg with you. Um, my husband is Jared, pastor on staff there, and we have a two-and-a-half-year-old, Eliza. Um, so she was a COVID baby. She was born in October before COVID hit, um, and so she only knew people by masks for a long period of time, but I'm grateful that she has the opportunity to see faces. Um, so I went to school and am a social worker, and so I work as a school social worker with Rockingham County Public Schools and work with students and families and all kinds of different challenges and they, um, needs and make referrals often to people like Mark um, when they need help. So it's good to be with you this morning. All right, let's start. We t uh, talked about the mind. The Bible talks about the mind a lot. Uh, we're, st we're to have the mind of Christ uh, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So as we have this discussion, not every panel member will need to answer every question, but let's use this one to have everyone answer it and start the discussion. And you're thinking, what is the mind? And for a believer, then, what is mental health? What is a sound mind? Who wants to start? I'll start. The scriptures, a lot of times, there's an interplay between the mind and the heart. And as we've done, as brain research has been done, there's a lot of aspects of how the mind operates and it correlates in many ways to the heart. And interesting, when Jesus's mission to creation was to heal the brokenhearted, um, to the scriptures say that as a believer that we would not be double-minded. Um, and I would suggest to you the idea that we could also be double-hearted our heart can be divided. Um, and so when I think about mental health uh, as a believer, I think about a positive state of mind and body and feeling. I would also suggest that good mental health involves kind of a synchronizing of these different parts of our heart uh, that can be divided. And it also I think healthy mental health involves healthy connection with God and healthy connection with others. So it's interesting that God's greatest command was that we would love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We would love our neighbor as ourselves. So there's a sense of good mental health involves not only just this 
uh, singleness of heart in ourselves, but also involves connection with God and others in a healthy way. Ashley, add to that. I think too, for me, when I think of like mental health, it's not just a thing. Like I think a lot of times when we think of mental health, it's like, oh, something's wrong with me, but it's actually a state of well-being. And so just like our physical health and um, our emotional health, it's all about health and wellness. And so how do we take the thoughts that we have and hold them captive and what do we do with them? Um, so I is we have to normalize it as much as possible. And so I think Mark has a, just a great point of just the connection between the heart and the mind. And what do we do with those thoughts when they come into our brain? What do we do with them? Margaret, sound mind? Yeah, so kind of jumping off of what both of them have said, but on the scripture that we heard last week from Pastor Chris, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. So there is... All of the mind is important, or Jesus wouldn't have said your mind. Um, but there are these four aspects that line up with our physical body, um, with our mind, with our emotional, like there's, and it's going away from me right now, but it lines up. Each one of those areas matter. and. Jesus wouldn't have said that had that not been the case. When we come to Christ, there is this thinking that we've been thinking maybe with our flesh, right? Um, we've been thinking differently, and now he's saying, hey, I want to renew your mind. And there becomes conflict from what we believe to what we believe now. And sometimes that can bring us to crises. But I believe that um, I can look back over my own life and see um, how God has done that. And this renewing um, means that he has something better for us, a new way to think and to think from godly wisdom. And we bring in information through our senses. Um, we have five senses that we bring um, information in. And uh, because of things that happen to us, in life, sometimes that information doesn't register always like it should. Um, I'm sure that Mark and Ashley could say that much more eloquently. So mental health um, is just a an other part of our body and the way we engage with the world. And when we find ourselves in these places that maybe we don't feel like Maybe we're having anxiety, and we don't really say, oh, there's something wrong with a thought process, or there's something that maybe I need some help with. But our body, just as this morning when I got up and had a little issue with my eye contact, my eye let me know that there was an issue with my eye, just like our mind is able to let us know that there is something in our body being that is not quite right, and therefore anxiety, such things come up. Thanks. Ashley, I'll ask you to start this one, and then maybe Mark follow up. Um, we've seen the statistics. I, I started with some. Uh, right now, 50% of people, 50%, half of the people who would characterize themselves as born-again Christians say they have a struggle with mental unwellness 
anxiety, depression, fear, worry, that impacts their daily life, 50%. So, uh, Ashley, do you believe these statistics, or are we, just, are we just blowing it out of proportion? And did the pandemic do that? Do you believe that there is a rash of mental unwellness, including in the body of Christ, and did the pandemic do it? I'll ask Ashley and then Mark, you follow up. I think the pandemic certainly had a large part to play in it, for sure. Um, I know even in my role at schools, the amount of conversations and meetings that we're having with students, even as young as elementary, has skyrocketed in this past year. And you can say there's blame, so to speak, for a lot of different things, but I do feel like the pandemic has had a part in that. We, for so long, in the midst of that, were forced to isolate and to not be around other people. And God created us to be relational beings and humans to interact, to engage. And for so long, we weren't able to do that. And if we were, it was in fear, right? A fear of, can I get sick? What, how do I stay well? Am I going to bring this home? There was so much unknown in the midst of that, that we were just left on this like edge of like peril and our brains are not wired to be in that constant state of fear. And so I would agree and say like, yeah, like those statistics are staggering, but I see that. Um, and so we were trying to figure out like, how do we help support our students and our families in this time? Mark, you believe the statistics and did the pandemic do it? I do think there definitely is an impact of COVID-19. I also think there's probably a lot of variety of things that are converging at one time. I like it that you use the word fear because I think a lot of good mental health involves that feeling safe. And safety involves, uh, if I was talking about a divided heart, there may be the emotional heart, the part of our brain that knows things experientially. And then there may be the logic side of our brain, the brain that knows things like scripture that we memorize. Sadly though, the way the brain works is when we feel anxiety, our experiential brain moves to center stage. And what we know experientially can sometimes override our understanding and knowledge of scripture. So I do think experientially, when we're not feeling safe, if we've not developed certain disciplines to know how to engage anxiety and fear, then it does. It does impact us, it impacts the culture, it impacts the body of Christ. So I think the statistics are real. When I say several things converge at one time, I think our political environment right now in America is very toxic as far as fostering distaste for somebody of a different perspective, um, somebody with different um, values. I also think um, as research is reflecting that millennials, that probably only four out of 10 identify having faith in Christ in our culture, which is a significant drop. So the, that first group of adulthood that would be reflecting faith, I think there's an absence of faith, a drop in faith in our adult culture that also plays into those statistics. Margaret, there's someone sitting there, probably more than one person, who loves Jesus and has loved Jesus for a long time. And they're in Christ, and they know they have a happy ending. They know they will end up in heaven. Mark just said that we allow our experiences to override that knowledge. So even though we know we have a happy ending, we still struggle daily 
with fear and worry. Why? Well, when you look at scripture and it says, do not fear 365 times, um, I think Jesus knew that we would struggle. Um, there is a great battle. Um, the enemy doesn't want us to have freedom in Christ. Honestly, I can say transparently that a few months ago, I had like a, this building thing of anxiety. And why was that? Praise Jesus on my knees in my bedroom in the middle of the night. I came to the end of that. So I give God glory, have other things that I take medication for though, you know. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that we are, uh, until we are in glory, we will have things that we have to face where we'll have to put our trust in God. And that doesn't mean that we can just live above any type of anxiety, any type of fear. We look through scripture and we see that. That is, Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Uh, just because we're here and we're a believer doesn't mean that we are not going to struggle. And I believe that a lot of these things come to get us into isolation and out of community so that um, we will not be have found having abundant life in Christ. Because that's what the enemy wants us to miss. And also, when we come to Christ, when I came to Christ, there were many things that I can speak from where I had brokenness. And now I've begun to renew my mind. And I, we have to work on some things. Things can't stay the same as a believer and us have renewed minds. So we've come to an impasse, so to speak, of God wants to renew our minds and to make us more like him so that we can be light to this world and that we can be that city on the hill and there is a battle in the heavenlies trying to keep that from happening. Mark, what's the greatest? Can oh, I punctuate something? Go ahead and then I've got a question for you. So I really appreciate it. Pastor Margaret talking about in her own response to her anxiety that it elicited a response to God. And I just, I think that is so vital in our conversation this morning that our brains are actually hardwired to be in relationship. We were not designed to go it alone. And that we would, our attachment to God, as well as our attachment to others, to reach out to God, uh, to communicate with God. Part of calming fear is that when the anxious brain is center stage, relational uh, circuits in the brain turn off making it difficult to discern God's voice, making it difficult to see God or experience God. And until we're able to get the brain into a state of calm, when relational receptors or, or circuits turn on, that connection is difficult. So something experientially for you has had some experience of reaching and connecting with God, but often we have to soothe or calm something in our brain to be able to do that. I don't know if you've ever walked into a worship service on a Sunday morning and you've been in a state of uh, discomfort, either discouraged or anxious. And in the context of worship, worship is actually located in that experiential part of the brain. 
And when we worship, it actually calms or soothes something in our heart, making our ability to connect with God greater. So if you've ever noticed the impact on a Sunday morning, when your spirit engages worship, something calms inside of you and you feel more connection with God, you feel more attuned. Uh, gratitude has that same impact. When we're feeling grateful, not just a mental checklist of gratitude, but writing out an expression of gratitude to God relationally, when our anxious brain is center stage, if we could pull out that writing that we wrote when we were in that calm place, it can actually still or calm the brain to be able to connect, to reconnect with God when we're in that calm place. Uh, I'll ask you this and then I've asked Ashley follow up. What's the greatest misconception about Christians and mental health? I sat with that idea for quite a while, kind of noodling. What? When you use words like greatest, it's kind of like, okay, what's the top? But I think as far as what I would say to the body of Christ today, the thing that's most standing out to me is as Western Christians, we place a lot of emphasis on truth and knowledge. And I would suggest to you that if transformation, God's wanting us to become uh, transformed into the image of Christ, we somehow think that truth in the form of knowledge plus making good choices will empower us to connect with God and have the power to obey. And I would say that's a myth. I would challenge you that if we replaced love, if Jesus was the word incarnate, then knowing truth first is that experiential connection with Jesus who embodies truth and lives truth, that speaks truth, the word of God. So it's not just knowledge, but I think our culture places so much emphasis on knowledge. When we feel anxiety, we think, oh, it's a lack of faith. You just don't believe enough. Whereas I would suggest to you, it's more about this relational connection. Because when we make the relational connection, uh, if the prayer in Ephesians says that, uh, Paul prays that we would know how deep, how wide, how great God's love is for us. And it suggests to us that if we can begin to grasp that love, we will actually translate that into power then to respond. If we love God, we will obey God. So what if it's not about more knowledge? What if it's experiential connection with Jesus and truth, the word of God, Plus, that empowering us in response to that love, that in loving God, we will want to obey, and that the Holy Spirit will bring life in that. So I would say, if we could replace love, relational connection with God, for the notion that truth is just going to do it, more knowledge is just going to do it. And I think when we're in an anxious state, our difficulty is we don't acknowledge the brain doesn't connect with that logical reasoning side. Ashley, you want to take that? Great. Well, Mark mocked me for using the term greatest. So, most significant misconception about Christians and mental health. Ditto to everything he said. I think it does. Like, I think it, there's a myth that if there's some, if I have a mental um, unwellness, there's something wrong with me. And I just have to think differently in order for it to be mm -hmm. fixed. Or it only affects certain people. And that's so untrue. Like, all of us have mental wellness within us. And it's, what do we do with that? And so how do we help stay within mental wellness in our own minds? What is the toolbox that we can use 
um, that when those fears, when those lies creep in, that we can take hold of them and give them back to Jesus. And sometimes it's literally, I have just said Jesus because I have no other words to say. And he will help guide us through that process into becoming back into whole relationship with him. Continuing on that, um, a person sitting in the congregation who says, this all applies to me. I'm scared to death all the time, but I fake it really well and no one has any idea it's impacting me. Ashley, what should that person think or do when they're walking out the door today? No, you are not alone. I've had somebody um, this school year, they said, Ashley, how do you have it all together? You always have a smile on your face. And I said, yeah, but you have no idea what's going on inside, right? So we do a good job of faking it sometimes. And so know that you are not alone. Know that there are people not only in your circle of um, family and friends that care about you, but there are people in the community there to help you, to help you navigate through the process to becoming back to the person that you want to be, that God has created you to be. Mark, I'll follow up with you on that. You see people all the time dealing with these issues. It's what you do for a living. It's your ministry. What's the first thing you say to them? What's the first thing you would say to a person who walks into your office, sits there and says something like that? I'm scared to death all the time. I worry about everything for no reason. What do I do? What's the first thing you say to them as a response to that? Probably my first response is to validate their pain because validate, not say they're right for feeling that or wrong for feeling that, but I get it that you would feel that. Kind of think that's what Jesus did. He first connected with our hearts, uh, and then he connected with our heads. The woman caught in adultery. You know, he could have started with truth and said, well, you know, if you weren't sleeping around like this, you wouldn't be in this situation. But he doesn't start with that. He starts with saying, who condemns you? because she was being used by the Pharisees to try to trick Jesus. But he says, who condemns you? I don't. So he first reached for her heart. He knew that she was feeling shame, alone, embarrassment. After the Pharisees, he said, which of you Pharisees have not sinned? You can throw the first stone. When they left, Jesus said, go and sin no more. So I don't know if those were literal words or if he said, sleeping around with men is not feeling this empty place inside of you you're choosing something that's not life and you need to choose differently. So I think Jesus, by getting in an earth suit and coming living in human form, helped us to know he understands our pain, he understands our confusion, he identifies with us. So when we feel understood, then we're probably more ready to consider what's the truth that we're missing. And when we feel understood by another, that attachment, that connection with another, that opening of our hearts to calm and connect with God sets a platform. So I would probably validate, we do live in a scary time right now, and there's a lot happening that would elicit those kind of emotions. Because as Christians, I'll be condemning myself for my feelings. I shouldn't feel this, I should feel that. So it's really not, that's not very helpful. It's more helpful to say, I do feel this. What can I choose to do with it? How can I choose to respond to it? I'm about to ask the last question, but Margaret, I wanna, probe something you said earlier. You mentioned medication. You did. And I appreciate that. Thank you for your transparency. Some in the congregation take medication. It helps, and they're pleased. Some take medication. They're ashamed that they take medication, that they think they shouldn't need medication. Some in the congregation refuse to take medication because God can't be in pills to make me feel better. So would you share with us your process on 
making that decision and how we should, don't tell us how to think, we can think, but how we should approach it in a healthy way. And then I'll ask the final question. Yeah, I feel like um, we, we would all love to just never have to go to the doctor. We would never, like, we'd love to never have to wear glasses, right? But these bodies were not made to hold up um, forever. And we all have weak planks within our bodies and physically and mentally there are these places that for each one of us it's different and for me um, I am borderline narcoleptic so it was not even realized undiagnosed um, ADHD for well into my adult life and I got to a point where I realized that not everyone was dealing with the same things that I was dealing with. Um, I just thought that this was something everyone dealt with. But I got to a place where life was just too hard without the medication. And so life is much better. You know, someone some days will say, did Margaret take her medication today because Margaret's not focusing. So, but I know that I have to have that, that I, I haven't been able to pray that away. And so I've surrendered to this is something that I need to do to have quality of life. Sometimes we can take medication for a season to get us through um, where we don't have to have as much. Um, sometimes we may need to have it the rest of our life. But God has given doctors and the medical field knowledge to help us live in the tents that we live in on this earth and to have as good a life as we can have in them. And I'm grateful for that. Thanks, Margaret. All right, I'm going to ask this last question of Ashley and Mark. Then we'll dismiss our panel, and Margaret will close us, and the worship team will come. Uh, the simple one, uh, fill in the blank. If there's one thing, sorry, Mark. If there's one thing I want you to remember about mental wellness as a believer, it's blank. Ashley, then Mark, and then Margaret, I'll have you close. If there's one thing I want you to remember about mental wellness and the believer, it's that you're not alone, that God sees you, that he created you, uh, that he loves you, that Amen. he wants you to be, you are his prized possession. Amen. Um, and so he will guide you. He will help you not only through life's challenges now, but life's challenges in the future. This week I was, you all might have the version app also, in Isaiah 41, 13, it says, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and Amen. says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Amen. And so just rest in the truth that he is for you, that he wants what's best for you, and that he will help you in every situation that you're in. Amen. Mark, one thing I want you to remember about mental health and the believer, it's... I'm going to go for two because I'm going to say ditto to your number one, that relational connection with God. But I would also say the notion of trauma is often that we suffer alone. So trauma is greater... Uh, PTSD often occurs because we suffer alone. And again, we as believers are not promised that we won't face difficulty or challenge, but we're called to suffer well. And I would suggest to you that suffering well involves not suffering alone, because when I don't suffer alone, I'm probably going to suffer well. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the expression that a joy shared is multiplied. 
and a difficulty or challenge shared is divided. So this whole notion is we don't want to isolate from God. We don't want to isolate from connection with others because God will use those relational bonds to help us suffer well. Scripture suggests that it actually develops character in us when we suffer well. It develops patience. It develops character. I'm going to dismiss the panel. Can we thank them for sharing their 4th of July with us? Thank you all for being with us this morning and for sharing. I would like, just as we prepare to worship, I have a couple thoughts, but I would like for you just to inhale, exhale, and just close, um, close your eyes. Um, just take a few moments um, as I share just a couple thoughts about the company um, that we find ourselves in, how we ended up even having anxiety in the first place. Um, so as we look at scripture, when God created Adam and Eve, they were in perfect relationship. But then they were tempted by the enemy and they gave in to the temptation and they didn't really realize how much it had affected them until they hear God walking in the garden. And scripture says that they hid. God called out to them, where are you? Adam responds, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. You see, on the heels of Adam and Eve's disobedience, Fear and isolation entered the world. And as we read the Old and the New Testament, depression, fear, and isolation have been wrecking havoc on God's people ever since. If you're familiar with Scripture, you will recognize names of people God used greatly that struggled. Job, King David, Elijah, Jonah, Jeremiah. In Lamentations 2.10, Jeremiah says, I have cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. He was taking his heartache to the one who could do something about it. And in Mark 14, Jesus says to the disciples, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour would pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And today, I think that can be a prayer for us, that we ask God to remove it, yet not if he doesn't do that. We know that he will walk with us.
And what I'm trying to say today as we ponder this, that if you struggle, then you struggle with great heroes of faith. As we talked about a little bit earlier, that we fight against not flesh and blood, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, but against the principalities and the powers of darkness. We're not alone in our struggles as the enemy would have us believe. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 42.5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You see, the psalmist was talking to himself, asking himself, why, my soul, are you downcast? And he tells his own soul to put his hope in God. God created us for community. And the enemy wants to make us believe that we aren't enough. And he calls us to hide. Just as Adam and Eve did in the garden, we can feel hopeless. And Rick Warren made this statement. Um, last summer at the Celebrate Recovery Summit, he said, we can't live two seconds without hope. And that is why the psalmist had to tell his soul to put his hope in God. And today, we have an opportunity to respond. And we can respond by asking God to provide a greater peace of mind to provide mental wholeness and healing to help us find someone. Maybe it's the courage to ask for help. But today it's an opportunity to respond for yourself or for someone you know in faith saying, I will put my hope in the Lord. The altars are open. Your chair is a place to kneel. You may want to sit, to be still and know that he is God. Whatever stance we take, let's tell our souls to put our hope in the Lord and know today that we are not alone in our struggle. Let's praise him in the middle. If you're in a storm today or someone else is in a storm, Let's praise him today as Mark shared this morning that when we praise, it takes us into a place of relationship with God. Today, can we give a hallelujah even here? Father, thank you today for the hope that you have given us in Christ. Father, this is a gift this great hope that we have. And today, as we have sat here and we have heard truth about a subject that we don't talk in church very often about mental health, 
I pray that it is a doorway and a pathway to hope for someone sitting in this room, someone watching online. And I pray that we will have the courage to take that first step and trust and put our hope in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.